two, one. Welcome in, Husker Extra Podcast. The gang's all back together. It's been a little hey. while. It's been What's up, gosh. Hey, guys. There's Sip. There's Parker. I was going to ask. I wanted to ask Palmer a question. Like, does Palmer know that Ben Simmons was on the trade block? <laughs> I, Palmer's a big 76ers guy. So, <laughs> yeah. Palmer's currently asleep right now, or I would I would have him in a guest spot here on the podcast. Yeah, so don't wake him up. Don't they wake never him up. they say never wake a sleeping baby, so I'm not going to do that. But I'm not yeah, sure you guys want to introduce just yet. Yeah, you, you don't want to just you don't want to just give the people what they want immediately. You got to give them to them in a little bit of a taste from time to time. So he, he knows about uh, the James Harden trade, though. <laughs> not a beard fan. He's not a fan oh, of the beard. He's yeah. not. Hey, he thinks he's hey, selfish. Hey, yeah selfish yeah this is hey this is palmer talking i'm just the messenger i don't you know i'm just relaying what he's telling me as we're watching sports center at 10 o'clock he's not as selfish as Kyrie. well no but Kyrie's also insane so. <laughs> palmer ripped off some Husker Extra NBA podcast <laughs> all right let's let's launch let's yeah, launch it's, it's it's january 14th uh it's 3 43 p.m there's nothing really happening. It's the off season in football, right? It's been a slow week. It's not been a slow week. Of course, uh, the latest news coming out today, uh, special teams consultant is a consultant. Is that what they call analyst analyst, senior analyst, uh, Jonathan Rutledge, no longer with Nebraska after one year and another disastrous year for Nebraska on special teams is kind of the latest, I guess, domino to fall, uh, here in the off season here this week. So, I'll turn it over to you guys. Obviously, Nebraska's special teams were a disaster again in 2020. Um, it sounds like what's what Jonathan Rutledge – Jonathan Rutledge was hurt by not being able to be on the field with his guys and get things organized. I guess just your guys' thoughts on, on how that kind of all went down today. Go ahead, yeah, Parker. Well, I mean, that was, the, that was the deal from the start. I mean, that's that was part of the – that was the gamble in having a setup where you have an analyst that's sort of in charge of implementing scheme is that they're not allowed to actively coach players um, during practice or on game days. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. We can talk. I mean, I don't think Jonathan Rutledge really like a household name necessarily. Um, He's not even a full-time assistant coach, but clearly was, you know, a big part of, I mean, he was, it was one of the storylines of last off season was his hire. So we can, we can muse a little bit on maybe what will come on the special teams front. There's a few different things that Nebraska could do there. And I think it's going to be an interesting, I don't know if it'll be a few days or a couple weeks or a few weeks or what, but um, certainly between now and the time spring ball starts, um, that will be an area that needs to be addressed uh, by, by Scott Frost in terms of the direction he wants to go on that. Um, But yeah, it's sort of just like the latest in a crazy week. Um, I, this is, so today, earlier, before Jonathan Rutledge, Will Honus announced he was coming back. He's the latest in a string of defensive players to say they're coming back. So, so far, just this week, on Monday, Wando Robinson transferred out and Samari Ture, the graduate transfer receiver uh, from Montana, committed. Matt Farniak announced he was going to go to the NFL. Then on Tuesday, Diedrich Mills announced he was going to the NFL, but Marquise Stepp, the USC running back, committed to transfer in. On Wednesday, Deontay Williams and Markel Dismuk said they were coming back, which gives Nebraska their two senior safeties back in 2021. And then today, I mean, like you say, it's 3.46 p.m. now, Sipple. Uh, we've got Will Honus back and Jonathan Rutledge out. So 
it's been that kind of week. Well, I think in college football now, this is the way it's going to be in January. I think there's typically coaching moves um, that are made even when the seasons are going well. There can be coaching moves made. The transfer portal has changed everything, and there'll be player movement all the time. Now, there won't be – you're not going to have a bunch of seniors coming back because of a pandemic, but there'll be – I think this is going to be um, – pretty common going forward. Maybe not this to this extent, but um, that portal is a, that's really something that's going to change the, uh, come on. I mean, it's, it's going to, it's, it's already changed the landscape of college football dramatically. Yeah. Yeah, it has. I mean, it, the number the sheer number of players, I mean, it's changed. It's really changed. I think um, maybe this year more than ever, but you'd imagine that this will be the case going forward. And I think the pandemic and the extra year of eligibility and all that's, you know, that, that obviously has an effect this year, but um, I, I think it's going to change the way people teams allocate their scholarships. I mean, you see, you know, Nebraska has got 20 high school players uh, as part of their recruiting class right now that could maybe add one more um, if they can get somebody that's at the very top of their board, like Avante Dickerson from Omaha West side. Um, to, to sign in February. But other than that, you know, they're really at, that would give them 21 high school players and four spots for transfers. Um, if they don't land Avante Dickerson, it'll be 20 and five. Um, Nebraska's used three of those spots now with Chris Klarovic, uh, the Northern Iowa linebacker. And then just this week, Samari Toure, the receiver and, and Marquis Step, the running back. So there are so many players in the portal. There's just not that many scholarships to go around. I think you're going to see teams leave more and more spots open in their recruiting classes. Um, and that, that, then that in turn, I mean, if, if, if every division one school in the country were to go from averaging signing 22 high school players to signing 20 high school players or something like that, 24 to 22, that's a lot of high school kids, right. Whose opportunities are, are not going to be there scholarship wise. So anyways, it's a crazy. Here's a question. Here's a question yeah. for you guys who are more progressive thinkers than I, what good does the transfer portal do for college football? What's the positive impact it has for the sport of college football? <laughs> well, it help. it's a great question, Sip. I mean, do we know the answer yet? Um, because it's such a, you know, it's such a new thing. Um I don't know. I don't know if this is the right answer or not, or if there is a right answer yet, but I, I don't know if we, if we know yet, like, I think clearly what you'll probably see is some guys that, that maybe couldn't get on the field at one place, find an opportunity at a different place and turn into stars, you know, um, or that could happen. You know, you know it, it could happen. Obviously it's going to be way more difficult for coaches uh, because you're, you're trying to keep a roster together and you're sorting through all that you're basically adding another layer to your recruiting and, and all those sorts of things. So it's going to be more difficult there, but yeah, you know, I don't know what the effect's going to be. And, and we may not get a real good idea until the, the one-time transfer rule is finally passed. Obviously that got put on the table this week. And I think that's going to change a lot too. Um, yes, it is. I think you're going to see a lot of guys, a lot, even more guys uh, go into the portal and, and look for that opportunity. I always think of, you know, the, the quote that Tim Miles had, the former Nebraska basketball coach, it, and it was sympathetic to the players and that, you know, you only get a certain amount of time to, to play college sports, whether it's basketball or football or, 
or whatever. And, and you want to play, you don't want to sit, you don't want to red shirt. You, you want to get on the field and you're on the court and you, and you want to get reps. So a lot of it, I think will come down to do guys, are guys able to find opportunities to play as early as they can? And, and do you see, do you see more movement among younger guys or do you see more movement among older guys? You know, I just think it's so early right now that I don't know if there is a, a good answer to how it will affect other than I think we're just going to see a lot of movement. We're going to see a lot of people trying to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. It's pretty early. It's pretty early to tell. I think in general, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of the freedom of movement. Like there's a limit to it. I think that the one time free transfer is a good, that that'll be a, that that'll help. That'll be a positive development. But I also think, I mean, that nothing is black and white, right? I mean, that, that, that just doesn't exist, um, especially when you've got so many players and so many places to play and different levels and all that. But I think, a one, you know, being able to transfer for free once without sitting a year and then having a blanket after that, if you transfer a second time, you got to sit. That's just the way it is like that to me as a as a principle is fine. And the portal is a fine way to facilitate that. But I think that part of the I also understand the frustration um, from coaches and, you, you know, it's, it's not a Nebraska thing. It's just a general, you know, around the country. A lot of guys will say that it, it's hard to coach players hard now because anything goes wrong and they leave and, and they go somewhere else. To me, like, I think the bigger issue at this point and what we're seeing with the portal right now is just that I, it doesn't like, I don't know if kids, out there really quite understand what they're getting into when they go into the portal. Like Samari Ture, he's a first team FCS All-American. He knew that he was going to have a market when he went in and he made like a very calculated decision to do what he did, especially because the Big Sky Conference wasn't even going to play this fall, right? Like Marquis Step, he had a plan. He, he was at USC. He put in three years there. And for two out of like his coach that recruited him to USC left one week after he got there which is the argument for freedom of movement in and of itself right there. But he stuck it out. He stayed there for three years. The last two of which under Graham Harrell, they were an air raid offense that doesn't really value running backs anyways. So he went to find himself a better situation. Like those situations are very understandable. What Noah Vedral did a year ago is very understandable. He wanted to play and he had a great market as soon as he went in the portal. So like there are countless numbers of examples you can find of kids who thought about it, made a calculated decision, had a plan, had an expectation of what they were getting themselves into, and then maybe it matched their expectation or maybe it didn't, but they went for it. It seems to me, and this might not be true, but it seems to me that there are also a lot of kids who are just like, forget it, put me in the portal. And then two weeks later, there's this shell shock of like, this is not what I thought was going to happen. And that... It's part of the learning. I think that's part yeah. of the learning process of it, right? I yeah. mean, it was this in October of 2018 when the portal first like went online. It there was this like, wait, so players can just tell compliance they want to be in the portal and the school can't stop it or block it. And that was a good part about it, but there's no I mean, you can't you can't talk a kid out of it now. If he if he signs the paper. He's, his name has to be in there in 48 hours. And so it's just, it's proliferated. And I think, um, you know, the wheels just spinning faster maybe than, than anybody thought that it would. 
And it could slow too. I mean, it's still in the very early stages and it could, it could improve. I know this. I don't know. I don't know why you'd want to be a college coach now. I don't, that's the one thing I I, I ask guys all the time. Why, why would you want to be a college coach? If you're good enough, wouldn't you, I would think you just want to go to the pros. Um, Because now I think there's so many instances where you, if you coach a kid hard, you're, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to risk losing him Um, because a lot, because they'll just, there's that easy access out and a lot of kids choose it. And I, it's not like I'm, not like not, I'm making I'm up. I hear it all the time from coaches. Yeah, um, some of that though, like, isn't that if you're winning though? I mean, that takes care of a lot of that stuff. Not all yeah. of it for sure. Oh, no. But I mean, like, I don't, well, yeah. you, know, you don't. You don't think Nick Saban's like coaching dudes hard at Alabama? You know, but they win and they dominate. And yeah, they have guys transfer. Well, you can. We always play the Alabama card because it's the most. I mean, yeah, they're winning. It's an extreme case. Yes, yeah, it is. Of course, yeah. Alabama, There's a, it's like a utopia right now. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I bet at Notre Dame, it's it's an issue sometimes. And sure. Oklahoma, there's guys jumping in the portal. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, no, I mean, I, 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 that's, a real, that's a real thing. That's, a, that's not something I'm making up from my desk in Lincoln. That's a real phenomenon. And it's interesting to me. Um, but – I guess it's sort of that's just the world we're in, and you just got to kind of go with it. So, yeah. So, like, while, go ahead, Des. I was just going to say, you know, like it, it's different now than it was 10 years ago, than it was 25 years ago, than it was 50 years ago. You know, it, in 1990, recruiting probably looked a lot different than it did in 1975. And we're going, well, we're just going to, it's a new world, and we're just going to have to deal with it and figure it out. And, and now we're kind of, at that point again, where it's a new world and everybody's going to have to figure it out, whether that's players yep. or coaches, you know, and 10 years from now, 25 years from now, we'll probably be saying the same thing. We'll have gotten so used to the portal and the guys coming and going and leaving and whatever that the next thing will pop up and you go, well, it's different, but we'll just have to get used to it. I mean, that's just part of the evolution of it too. Yeah. You know? Coaches will just have to adjust to it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's and interesting. There's coaches, that, there's coaches that have adjusted, right? Like look at Fred Hoiberg and the way he builds a roster in basketball, you know, it, it if they didn't have the transfer portal, who knows what their roster would look like. Oh God. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it, it's a deal where like, like we said, you, you adapt to it and you figure it out and, and you go from there. We don't need to get too, too far into like the, the weeds in terms of like the numbers and all that, but it does make it interesting. So like if you're a program like Nebraska, where now Nebraska doesn't have, they're not, they've taken full recruiting classes for a couple of years now. So they're not, they don't have extra spots to backfill. It really makes for a numbers crunch on, you know, you've, you're always going to have, as long as the NCAA, unless the NCAA takes action and adds some sort of escalator to the number of new scholarship players you can have each year. And that number would probably be tied to like how many transfers you lose. Like it's always going to be hard to, keep as many players as you're losing, right? I mean, uh, Nebraska is going to have far more scholarship players transfer out this offseason than they're going to have, you know, players transfer in. And mm-hmm. that, that goes for a lot of schools around the country. And that's why you've seen gradually since 2018, the number of players in the portal is growing and growing and growing, even compared to the number of available scholarships that there yeah. are out there to come in. Like nobody, it's you have to be really good right now for a school to take you over a recruit that they're, you know, like Ronald Delancey. It's nothing against Ronald Delancey, 
but what college is going to take Ronald Delancey and say, yep, we think he's a lot better than the other three-star defensive back that they've been recruiting for a year. Right. You that know, they've I, invested in, that they've invested. Right. So, yeah. and, and he ended up at Toledo and hopefully he has a great career and he's really happy there and all of that. Like, that's fine. He, he maybe made a move that he'll look back and say, that's the best thing I ever did. And if he does more power to him, that's great. Um, but there's just a lot, there's just a lot of players that have transferred and there's not that many scholarships to go around. So it makes right now, it makes it essentially, it looks like a buyer's market, right? There are the schools have options in terms of, Hey, if you're looking for a running back or if you're looking for a, and I think you can see the result of this really plainly. I mean, two years ago when you were looking, you know, Nebraska was like, their strategy was basically like, let's just take the best player we can find on the transfer market. And they found a couple of guys that had connections to the program, like Trey Neal, um, you know, who they'd coached at, at central Florida, like uh, Darian Daniels, whose brother obviously was here. Um, kind of Noah, who had staff connections. And this year, they just go right out and land two guys at positions where they really need players. Right. And there's guys who have like produced at the college level that they're able to just get in the conversation with, without having all that much in the way of connections to, and they come away with a receiver in Samori Ture who had 1500 yards in 2019 for Montana and a running back Marquis Steph, who averaged five yards a carry over three seasons at USC. Um, and we can talk about the, players headed out to Sipple, but it just, it makes for, there's going to be a lot of interesting questions about Nebraska's offense, I guess, and the changes to it going forward. Well, that, when you talk about Ture and Mark Marquise step, I mean, that, that, I mean, that's an, in a sense, I would say that's a positive element for college football, that, that, that sort of movement. I mean, it certainly is for Nebraska that they were able to go identify two guys I mean, positions of need really bad. They really needed a, a big running back. And obviously right on the heels of Wandale leaving, they needed a, they needed someone in that receiver's room that can give them a big play threat. They needed that whether Wandale was here or not. Right. So, you know, I mean, that's, you could look at it in a very positive way that way that, that teams have that availability to go into sort of like a waiver wire. Right. I mean, and get, and get what they need. Yeah. And, you know, part of it too, eventually like the market corrects itself, right? Like to Parker's point, mm-hmm. enough, there's more players than there are scholarships. Like eventually the water's going to find its level and, and maybe you just, you don't, you eventually see fewer guys moving around because they start to realize that there just aren't that many opportunities right. and yeah. drop down to FCS or division two or whatever it may be. So I think there's that part of it to consider too. And that's part of why I say, you know, it's so early to see the, you know, think about how this might work because it might take a few years for, for the market just to correct itself and when, for the bounce bounce to be found. When did the portal come into effect officially Parker? October 15th, 2018. Wow. That's impressive. Wow. Well, it's impressive that our son would know that October well, 15th son. of 218, 28. So yeah, we are in the very early stages. Of Four days after Greg Bell negotiated his transfer away from Nebraska with many restrictions when he could have just waited four days and been unencumbered in the portal. <laughs> he didn't Greg have a good Bell. advisor. Um, what else are we talking about today? Well, 
we talk, do you guys want to expand more on the guys that are coming in or should we talk about the guys that, that have left or the defensive guy? We've seen so many defensive guys decide to come back. I, I was thinking about this. Uh, we, I want to talk about the defensive guys, but just briefly, I was thinking about this the other day. It's amazing. Like the, the, it's, it, it's such an interesting off season in part because of the senior decisions in which for the most part on defense, there's a bunch of guys coming back, which we'll get to, but I was thinking about offensively, like in a normal year, at the end of this season, you wouldn't have even thought much about Matt Farniak or Brendan Hymas or Bo Wilson because they're seniors and they'd be gone. But I think it's pretty interesting to consider how many games those three guys have started that are gone out. And okay. then on top of that, Dedrick Mills and Wondell Robinson. And I just, I was sort of struck uh, as the chips have fallen this week. And then the two guys coming in about what, I mean, it's going to be – that's a pretty substantial revamp on offense. I mean, two longtime starters who had 72 combined career starts, um, plus Bo Wilson, who had, what, 20 or 30 himself? Yeah, 20-plus. So 20-plus, so, you know, 90-plus starts on the offensive line is mm-hmm. not going to be there when they all show up this weekend uh, to start the their winter conditioning program. And the guy who's been the primary running back the last two years is going to be there. And the guy who <laughs> – According to my math, uh, Wondell Robinson in the last two years, 24, 25%, 24.8% of Nebraska's offensive snaps have been to Wondell Robinson, targets and carries the past two years. So a quarter of their offensive production um, or plays, a quarter of their plays since Wondell Robinson got to campus have been specifically to him to get the ball in his hands. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. Huge. They just, it's that's just amazing. Sort of, sort of yeah. finally hit me like how much different they're going to be on offense next year than they were this year. And that's, um, I don't know if you can, I wouldn't wring my hands about that too much just for the simple fact that they haven't been that good on offense. So, like, well, dang. Parker, think about what we're saying. It's going to be a lot different. And how many people do you hear that think it's going to be better? Yeah. I mean, you got to kind of have an imagination to think it's going to be better. Um, and they averaged 23 points a game last season, which was 116th nationally and five fewer than they averaged the year before. Now, is it, could it be, I mean, may, maybe it would be a fun enterprise to, to, to say, all right, here's how they could be better. I, I wonder if I wrote that column, what kind of reaction it would get though. Well, I'm sure it'd be reasoned and rational, like, yes. like most things. Uh, in Husker Nation. No, I think, uh, yeah, you're totally right. I guess my, like, I don't want, I don't want this to sound like too, like, I'm not, I don't, I just, it's going to sound a little bit blunt, but like, it's, it was going to be hard for them to be much worse than they were in 2020. Uh, hard. And they averaged 23 points a game. Yeah, I know. They had three passing touchdowns, right? Is that what it was? <laughs> Let's talk about something more pleasant, like 60 miles an hour. If they wind. can't, yeah, like, this, like, like the impending blizzard. Wando Robinson or not, if they're, if they're averaging, like if they average less than half a touchdown pass per game over the entire 2021 20, season, I will be surprised. I just will be if they're that bad again. How about that? What if they, throw, what if they only throw three touchdowns again next year in like 12 games? <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> That's enough. Yes. Pleasant. Pleasant. Speaking of pleasant, pleasant, hey, you know what is pleasant? There's a bunch of defensive dudes coming back. Nebraska's yes. top eight tacklers. 
both the safeties coming back. Will Honus announcing today after he had a really nice year this year and took, kind of took a step forward. So I have a question for you guys. Yeah. I have a question. I'm good at asking questions. You are. Yes. Could, could in year four, could Frost maybe the is the best avenue to get to six wins and compete for a division title to lean on defense and special teams? No, because what's spe- special teams proven they can do for you, Sip? You're going to well, lean I'm, on a group I'm, that I'm gives ba- up about you would have to bank on you would have to bank on significant improvement. Can't but isn't it. it more isn't it more likely that they would improve significantly on special teams than they would on offense? I don't know. They're both pretty bad. Is that what would, <laughs> what would like? I'm not. I'm. I don't know that I disagree with you, but I'm curious why you would think that. <laughs> Like what, what, yeah, no. And, and he's right. Like, what have you seen Parker. in three years that says Nebraska's going to be better? <laughs> yeah. On special? Yeah. Like, well, like is that column, how's that column? How does that <laughs> yeah, let's require get, that column? Let's get the response to that. <laughs> it would require some major changes, but I, I, you know, they, they have I mean, to they be hired a new, a new analyst. Okay, in come the on. For let's be serious about this. Start, what, when yeah. they go into Oklahoma, when they go into, when they go into Sem- September 18th. Okay. If I'm frost every freaking day, I'm thinking about Norman. Because you can't go to Norman and get embarrassed, and you better figure out a way not to. And one way would be we're gonna we're gonna play very good defense. We're gonna get our special teams in order. You know, because I don't know how I don't know if we're gonna go down there offensively. You know, Boomer's gotten pretty good on defense, um, and it's it'll be tough. I I don't know Frost. These are the kind of conversations I hope he's having over there. Yeah. Guys. Well, how much how much of a change do you see in the offense? It's become more of the downhill ball control. I know they want to go fast, and we want speed, and we want players in space. But you just brought in. I like don't want that. Running back. I don't want players in space and fast yeah. pace. You know what I want? I know what you want. You want the <laughs> you want them big horses galloping through the field. Is what you want? I don't. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I got, I don't know what I want. No, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying, but it would take a pretty dramatic shift offensively, I think, for the other two parts of that equation to work out. Like if you're going to lean on your defense, you can't be throwing them out there after a 30 second drive on offense. That's a good point. You know, you gotta, they've got to be able to be rested and and be able to go out there. And the same with special teams. If you're kicking off a lot, that's good because that means you're scoring a lot. But at the same time, you know, your offense has got, it's got to be complimentary football, which is that phrase we've kind of heard so much, you know, it's true. And you're right, but and I think I agree with you too. Like, can they lean on defense next year? Absolutely, they can. And the the numbers and the guys coming back back that up. But the question is, can you develop special teams enough? Can you develop an offense enough to that you can lean on those other two things? I don't know. I think the defense Parker. can do a better job. I mean, you saw this at times in 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 2020, and I think that the defense can be even better in regards to helping the offense out by putting it in good situations, by keeping it out of really bad situations. You obviously need the special teams in that regard too. I mean, simple things like not getting tackled on a kick return at the 17 yard line. You're just giving away eight yards that you don't need to give away. They'll literally just give you the ball at the 25 yard line. So you can't have that stuff. I mean, it'd be nice to create some big plays in special teams. Be nice to say at a minimum, you can make a team start at the 25 pretty much every time just by kicking the ball into the end zone, uh, which, you know, Connor Culp brought stability to the place kicking game. But the one thing he didn't really do is his touchback rate was 30%, which is marginally better than it was in 2019, but not by, not by much. I think it went from like 
26 to 30% or something like that. So, I, I mean, it's going to take for them to be good, for them to be able to go to a place like Norman and compete with Oklahoma, they're going to need to be able to, you know, play better on offense to have better special teams. But I do think that, I mean, the defense is clearly, you know, driving the train this off season. Um, you know, we'll see what, what Ben Stilley decides, but if Ben Stilley decides to come back for his sixth year, I mean, that would be, they'd have nine starters back on defense. They've already with Will Honus announcing, they've got their eight leading tacklers from last year back on defense. That's the only way that that stats a little misleading is that Colin Miller obviously would have been in the top eight if he didn't get hurt in the middle of the year. He was a big part of that defense, but you saw Luke Reimer and Will Honus and then Nick Henrich late in the season play pretty well at inside linebacker. Um, you've got some youth in that room, uh, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I, I totally agree with your sentiment, simple, that like the defense is the, I mean, it's clearly the strongest unit of the three on the team right now, as we sit here in, in January. Um, and it's going to be up to the offense and the special teams, no matter how they, you know, what Jonathan Rutledge is out. So we'll see how they go about, you know, structuring the coaching of the special teams department. But um, yeah, I mean, the defense clearly at this point, you know, nine, nine starters back and, and, well, what is it? Six seniors of whom all of them, if Ben Stilley comes back would be sixth year guys. I mean, that's defensive quarter. You don't get that very often. You don't get that kind of veteran unit. So they're going to have, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing when you think back to when frost was hired that, that, and now you project forward now to now that this, this is the conversation. It's mind boggling. It's mind boggling that we're talking about them leaning on defense. That is not, that was not the plan. No, <laughs> that was not the plan. But that's and in I mean, yeah. I mean, in 2018, there was a stretch in the middle of the season where Nebraska was averaging like eight yards of play. And I think they went through like a five game stretch um, at the end of that losing streak to start the year. And then through the rest of it, where they averaged like 550 yards a game. Um, and then, and scoring went down the next year and then down again in year three. Um, and, and their production, you know, per play has steadily gone down uh, in each of the three seasons. You just like that trend has to reverse. I mean, there's just no other. If way. Parker, if you're a Nebraska fan, now you can help me with this. I, if I would be, if I were, if I were thinking of ways that Nebraska can be representable on offense, that they could be a top let's say a top 50 offense, you better, you're banking on Marquis step. You really are. You're yeah. probably banking on Sevion Morrison um, and Marvin Scott. I, I, I think yeah. to a large extent at receiver, you're banking on Xavier Betts making huge leaps in the off season. Then who else at receiver? Devontae uh, Brown. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Samari Ture and Xavier Betts. Um, you know, like the thing, okay. Devontae so- Brown. I think the, the, the there's going to be – we should count the number of times this year that some – this offseason, that some version of – I'm not saying they're going to be better or I'm I, let's not make it too much of it. It's just going to be a really interesting group. I don't know if it's going to be good, bad, or somewhere in between. Um, but at receiver, you know, Teray and Betts are both big, long guys that are outside type receivers. Um, you've got – you know, Oliver Martin will have had a full off season uh, in the program. You might get Levi Falk back uh, in that sort of slot type role. 
Uh, you've got Alante Brown and then Will Mixon, who they really liked, but missed his freshman year because he tore his ACL in July. Um, you know, you, then you've got the three incoming freshmen. Don't know quite what uh, you're going to get out of them, but it's, it's not certainly unheard of to have receivers that can play as freshmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, at tight end, you've got two veterans in Austin Allen and Travis Vokalek. Um, Kurt Raftall is a veteran. We haven't seen as much of him on the field. Uh, and then you've got a guy like Thomas Fedoni coming in as a, as a freshman who will be on campus a week from now. So um, there's a lot to, it's a chick. We've, we've talked about this for a couple of years now. There's this chicken and egg conversation about, is it quarterback play or is it what's around the quarterbacks? And essentially you've just got to be better all the way around, you know, Adrian Martinez, uh, Luke McCaffrey, whoever's playing quarterback, has to be more efficient than that group was in 2020. The receivers have to be more proficient at getting open and blocking downfield and taking the top off. I mean, everything across the board. And then on the offensive line, uh, you've got to hope that all of those, um, you know, all of that trial by fire, all of those growing pains, all of that learning experience in 2020 pays off for those guys. For Bryce Bennard and Ethan Piper in particular, um, for Cam Jurgens, who's been a full-time starter now, um, you know, for a while. Um, and even for, for guys that maybe haven't been full-time starters, but are going to have the opportunity now that, you know, Matt Farniak's gone and, and, you know, who fills that role? Turner Cor- you know, for a guy like Turner Corcoran, what, you know, he's got less experience, obviously, than Benart and Piper, but um, you pretty They're much pretty like, good. it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's not crazy. It's interesting because, there's no one there's no one player that is going to fix the offense. I mean the closest thing to it would be if Adrian Martinez came out and or you know or whoever plays quarterback if the quarterback just came out and played like dynamite the entire year. Like that would be the closest thing to a one-stop fix for what's ailed Nebraska on offense, but it really I mean that really doesn't exist um, otherwise because it's going to take a lot of different guys being a full notch or two better than the production at that position than the output at that position from 2020 for them to have a chance to be a good offense in in 2021. So what is happening now is that Nebraska players essentially will reconvene on Saturday. And that's ahead of the start of classes on January 25th. And that's when they begin lifting weights. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> lifting weights. Yes, they're gonna go in there and do some, they're gonna go in there and do some curls and some shoulder presses and they will be uh, lifting weights. That's they're gonna have That's an inside joke, Baz, but so they're they're gonna I guess the proper term is winter conditioning. Winter conditioning. Of which some of it will include lifting weights. Right, right. I asked the other day, Baz, one of the staff members when they begin lifting weights. Um, and it was met with an interesting response, but the, uh, (laughs) and our son picked up on it too. Sure. Lifting weights. When you start lifting. Hang on. I'm going to go lift some weights. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. It seems like a normal thing to me, actually. Uh, All right. What else is going on? Nothing. Basketball well, team's not doing anything. Basketball's yeah, Baz, not going on. Baz, they're, um, can they practice? 
unclear. Yeah. Um, unclear. Uh, COVID it, it's, unclear. It's hard because we don't know who exactly has tested positive, whether it's players, whether it's coaches, whether it's managers, you know, trainers, whatever it may be. Like, like every other sport, Nebraska kind of keeps all that stuff under wraps. So we don't really know. We don't know how many there are. Um, if you follow some of the players on social media, you'll see a couple of them been over in the gym shooting, at least, if nothing else. So they're, they're, whether that's under the supervision of coaches or anything like that, you know, in, in my eyes, if, if, you're, if you're having a pause in team activities, that means you're not practicing. You know? and so yep. we just kind of wait. You know, the, the next game on the schedule is January 20th, a week from yesterday uh, against Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota just put out a, a tweet today saying that game would tip off at 6 p.m. instead of 8 p.m. So, you know, that leads you to believe that game's for now looking like it's probably going to get played or at least is planning to be played, which would also lead you to believe that the, te- the positive tests in the program aren't the type that are going to keep a bunch of players out for 17 days, you know, if these were announced on Monday or if this pause was announced on Monday mm-hmm. or, or whatever it may be. So, you kind of have you kind of have some inklings about what direction this is looks like it might be going, but you know we again we we won't know a whole lot until we talk to Fred Hoiberg whenever the next time that is. And Fred has not exactly been the type that's gonna you know he's not Tom Izzo like Tom Izzo the other day said oh yeah my son's got COVID he tested positive so he's out and his roommates out you know it's not gonna be like that. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so yeah. it, it was super Dad. Hilarious. Dad, stop that. God, Dad. Jeez. Did you have to but, tell everyone? Yeah, but no, like it's I, that, and that's just Nebraska's policy. That's what they did with football. That's that's what they've done everywhere. It's just it is what it is. We just don't know a whole lot. But you kind of can see some hints here and there that that lean toward Nebraska being able to play that game on uh, next next Wednesday. And so next we'll Wednesday, see, yeah, the twentieth um, against Minnesota. So you know, for right now, they wait, and and we all wait. And we just kind of see what the next few days brings. You know, I'm putting together a story for tomorrow just talking about, you know, pretty much every team in the Big Ten has been affected by this one way or another, whether they've had to pause games or they've had games paused because of the opponent, whatever. I think there's only one or two teams that have not had any games postponed or canceled yet, you know, and we're five, six games into a 20-game conference season. So, you know, it's it, it, it is what it is. You know, it, it, it's, it almost seems like it's, it's happening a little more often with basketball than it is with football. And that just maybe because there's more games and, and there's more opportunities to postpone things. But Fred Hoiberg said this, he said this at the beginning of the year, you know, it, when the Florida A&M game got, got canceled. He said, this, this won't be the last time this happens. And it probably be the last time it happens to us. And, and all you can do is just try and be as safe as you can and hope it doesn't get to you. Well, it got to Nebraska, obviously, first off with, you know, with Eduardo Andre at the beginning of the season, then Ivan Wadrogo last week and now with the, with the pause and team activities. So, you know, at the end of the day, and, and unless we get specific, you know, X amount of players tested positive or X amount of coaches tested positive, because it, correct me if I'm wrong, coaches have to sit out 10 days, correct? If they test positive players at 17, we know. Yeah. That. And that's, it's sort of like football where part of that 17 days then is the re you know, the reacclimation yeah. period of like, yeah, exactly. you're not in isolation for 17 days, as long as you're, you don't, you don't show symptoms or whatever yeah. um, after seven or 10. And then you sort of start to build back the into shape from there. Yeah. So we'll see, you know, like I say, it, it's trending toward Nebraska being on the court a week from now. Now we'll see if we can get there. We'll see if Minnesota can get there safely. We'll see if Nebraska can get there safely. But 
it's, we all just, we're kind of waiting right now. And without Nebraska putting out a lot of that information publicly, it's it's tough to say just who's testing positive and what that means for as far as guys sitting out. This is a really difficult season for Fred to develop a team. It's brutal. It's brutal. Um, because you rebuilt the roster again, we don't need to rehash that. We we know what happened in the off season. It's it's a whole bunch of new guys. Yeah, no, you had a very strange off season summer workouts. You had a very strange preseason non conference slate where you didn't know basically who you were playing until the day before or two days before you were playing. You know, and now you've had the interruptions with with guys getting sick or te- I shouldn't say getting sick, testing positive for the virus. So yeah. It's brutal, and you're doing it in the best league in the country, a team that's probably going to have 10, 11, maybe 12 teams in the NCAA tournament. I think if you looked at – and I, I don't do this, but if you look at Joe Lenardi's projections for the NCAA tournament, I think he has 10 teams in and then two more teams in the first four out and another team in the next four out. And if you're counting, that's 13 out of 14 teams. You know, So it, it's, it was going to be hard no matter what. It's been made harder by everything that's gone on, and – and now here you are if you're Nebraska. You're 0-5 in the league. You've lost 21 straight regular season Big Ten games, 22 overall if you're throwing the tournament game next year. And you just need something good to happen, on the court at least. You've had some good stuff happen off the court with recruiting and things like that. But you need a win, man. you, you got to play well. you got to play from ahead. You, you can't well, have a game. Sorry, go ahead, Sip. Well, no, I interrupted you. You can keep going, then I'll add something. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say you can't you can't keep playing these games where you're just digging out of a hole every every single night. You know, it, whether it's in you're down 18 to Indiana in the first half, or you're down, or you you know you you're leading, or you're right there with Michigan, Michigan State in the second half, and you give up a run. They've just got to find a way to avoid that and, and have a game where they go out, play well and win a game. And then you try and build, build off of that and see what you can do. But it, man, it's just, it's been a grind for a lot of reasons. And, and one of those big reasons is Nebraska's just playing from behind every time out. Well, and it's been a, I mean, when I talk about it's hard to develop a team when there's these pauses, someone like Delano Banton, who's rarely played the point guard position in his life. He needs games at point guard to get a better feel for it. He's done, he's done an okay job. But it, he, that's a huge adjustment, feel of the game, uh, making passes at the correct time. I mean, it's not that's not an easy position to play. Um, and Fred alluded to that on New Year's Eve, Baz, during the Zoom, that he's just new at the position. Okay, so he needs games. You know who else needs games right now? Derek Walker. Now, Derek Walker was a bit of a revelation to me. I thought that was a better picture than I was expecting. But you know what he needs? He needs games. He needed, he needed these two games. Yep. You know, and yep. now, so he had, a, he had a pretty nice first game. Parker covered at 10 points. I think he had three rebounds. He, he, he looked pretty good. He got winded, but he gives them a little something in the middle, but he needed more games right away. And instead what happens? They get, yeah, you get, you, you, yeah, you get paused. And that, that's, that's what kills you. It, it all can, there's no substitute for playing games. There's no substitute for playing games in the best league in the country like Nebraska's doing. And that's just, that's just the conundrum they're in right now. Now, like you said, they're paused for, for who knows how many days. So we'll see what comes out of it next week. Uh, if Nebraska is able to get back on the court, are they going to be rusty? Are they going to have to get the whole team kind of back into game shape because they haven't been playing a lot of games, like you just said? And, and does that put it even further behind? We just we don't know. It probably will, Jesus. but we don't know. So it's, then you – Pass, did you then you look at Michigan? Did you did you envision Michigan 
being no. atop the Big Ten right now. No, and that, and that was the last game I covered before I, I went on paternity leave when they played Nebraska on Christmas Day. And I thought, you know what? They're they're okay. They're pretty yeah. good. You know, they got some guys, but man alive. What they did to Wisconsin the other night, the first, the first team in college basketball history to win three games over ranked opponents by at least 19 points. Like they're dominating teams. They're dominating teams. And – we, we thought of this conference being so good and so deep. And, and we talked about Wisconsin and Illinois and Iowa. Nobody was talking about Michigan at the beginning of the year. And now look who's leading the conference and who, look, look who looks like the best team in the conference. It's Michigan. And that just, it's just another illustration of, of how ridiculously good this conference is. You know, it, it's, there's even last night, you know, you're watching Northwestern and Ohio state Northwestern, is right there with Ohio State until the last couple of minutes. You know, the, yep. the team that's you're going to finish 13th in the conference ahead of Nebraska at this point. So, yeah, I, I mean, we're beating a dead horse when we say it, but there's this, there's no nights off. There's no days off. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard enough when you're good. It's really hard when you're trying to build a roster and build continuity, right. build a program. I mean, that's, that's just the, the conundrum Nebraska and Fred Hoiberg have right now. Right. And the pauses don't help. The pauses don't help. The pauses kill you. They, they, they absolutely kill you. And it, Everybody's got to deal with it. Michigan State's dealing with it right now. Penn State's had to deal with it, you know. But man, it's it's hard when you're in Nebraska and you've just got a roster like you have. And, and you need those guys together on the court in practices and games. And when those are taken away, it just stunts. The, I, I would think Fred would tell you it stunts development a little. I think that's one of the first questions you have, we have to ask him. You know, whenever we do talk to him, do you, are you afraid that, that this did stunt your development? And I'd be really interested to hear his answer on that. Yeah, because they're not, you know, they're Baz, they're they're a it's a really hard conversation because they're a better team than last year. Way better. Yeah. yeah, way better, but it's not really showing record-wise. It shows your eyes see it, but it does it's not showing up in the record, you know. Yeah, it, it, and look, it's it, it's it's a bottom line business at the end of the day, right? It's it's who you beat and who you don't beat. Nebraska's not beating anybody. And you we can sit here and say they look better and they are better and they are. I, I think everybody would agree with that, like you said. But man, when you're not winning and and you're not able to get on the court, uh, whether it's for practice or for games because you're paused, it's it's just a it's just a double whammy. And you know, like we said, that's just Nebraska's just kind of stuck right now. And there's not a whole lot they can do about it. All right, Bass. That was well, good. Let's wrap it up. Wrap um, it up. Our son Parker's doing a radio interview, so we're kind of kind of closing this out on our own. Appreciate everybody listening in. This is the first time we've been together, gosh, probably a month. Right. But we'll get into more of a routine now. We will. I'll bring Palmer on next time. He'll give us some James Harden takes. We'll give some ask Simmons him what takes. what his Sixers should do with Simmons too. I'll ask him. Yeah, I'll I'll see how he feels about Doc's rotations. Uh, how he feels about potentially losing Bill Sim- Bill Simmons, Ben Simmons. And I'll report back next week. Yeah, ask him about Ben Simmons. I, ben Simmons can't shoot. I mean, I, I don't know what Ben Simmons – I think he's in his third year in the league. It's like can't he's shoot. sort of given up on his jump shot. Yeah, he's, he's like me. He's given up on his jump shot. <laughs> kind of where I'm at. So, Not so giving up on your jump shot. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Um, take care.